Welcome to episode 583 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 583 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, how you going, mate? I'm on top of the world, Bevan. How about yourself? Why are you on top of the world? Uh, had a haircut. Had a haircut. It's a pretty good haircut. I like it. Thank you. Yeah, you normally go a little bit shorter. Yeah. We almost had some issues with the haircut. Oh, tell me about it. Well, the lady said, you know, her opening sort of question, I mean, new hairdresser, so you're really busy? <laughs> like, That's not a good start, but she did a good hair job, haircut, so I'm happy. <laughs> she did. Don't like the word busy. What do you do in that situation? Because to me, you're going to tell me off. But when you first meet someone, you can't tell them off. No, you can't. But I kind of say, yeah, I'm as busy as I, as I want to be sort of thing. <laughs> Without trying to sound like too much for cock. But anyway, mm. good haircut though. So happy with that. Yeah, it is good. I like, good haircut. Thank you. Yeah, Great. it's kind of story. Great strong start to show oh, today People well. love it when we talk about haircuts. I'm getting a haircut next week. Okay. Yeah, because I've got to go overseas and I've got to plan my haircut. Look forward to it. Yep, you, yep. You might, well, no, you probably won't see it till three weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. Pretty gutted. <laughs> I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme Your endurance. Your buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jombo. We have Andrew Maud. Too smooth. We've got Despicable Me, Evan Coyer. And Robert the Mighty Flynn, who I'm sure would have been over there at Rotterdam at the weekend. So he's part of the the crew that organise all our I Am Talk gear. If you want to get hold of that, go to imtalk.me and uh, click on the links there to the store. And we've got the full range of I Am Talk gear, not just bike jerseys anymore. We've got the t-shirts. gloves, t-shirts, bike shorts. We've got pink gear for the females. We've got tri-suits. So if you want to look good out there, go check that out. And it is really cool stuff, guys. So check, check, check it out. On uh, this week's show, guys, we've got some news, we've got a discussion of the week, we've got an age group of the week, but we're doing it a little bit differently. We've got an interview. We have with Braden Curry. Yep, we've got Braden Curry coming on, talking for about half an hour about his year and what's happening coming up to Kona and the race he had a couple of weeks ago, which is a pretty exciting race, wasn't it? We didn't mention that. He had a sprint yeah. finish with Ben, ben Hoffman. Hoffman at a, I think it was somewhere in California at a 7.3. Santa Cruz, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, 7.3. And, and pretty strong field because mm. um, Tim O'Donnell got third. Mm -hmm. like it was a really strong field considering he had the championship race happening at the same time. Exactly. You know, so uh, we've got a statistic, a winger of the week, and some questions and answers at the end. So, Jombo, it was a big weekend in the I2U world, so we thought we'd start with that today. It was pretty crappy conditions. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? So this is the grand finale of the series. Uh, it was held in Rotterdam in Holland. And I was getting a little bit cold just watching it <laughs> for the age group for the for the elite race. Apparently on the Sunday it did clear up a bit for the age group race, and it wasn't wet as far as I'm aware. I jumped on when the under 23s race was on, and mm. it looked pretty cold then. Yeah, the juniors especially, but um, yeah, it just didn't just look terrible. Uh, so the woman wasn't the most riveting race because really? Flora Duffy is just just crushing it, just taking it to a whole nother level. And I'd be really interested to see how she would compare against Gwen Jorgensen in this, these circumstances because I'm pretty sure Gwen Jorgensen wouldn't keep up because none of the other girls can. So for Flora Duffy, I think she was second out of the swim and boom, she's just away on the bike. She took two other girls with her. There was a few others that could have potentially stayed there but uh, were not able to so keep up So you're saying Jorgensen would be second place now? Because uh, Jorgensen was just as dominant before she went 
she was, but she didn't have to run down these breakaways regularly. She was actually able to stay with the front group. So I still think Gwen Johnson in most circumstances would probably win, but Duffy's lifted her run game quite quite a bit. So I think it would be pretty close. Wow. So no, she Flora Duffy. She's had maximum points this year. She had one second, and the rest was all wins. So rightly so, she. Uh, is the World Series champion and just... Uh, Do you think she'd be the most famous athlete in Bermuda? I don't know. I very know very little about Bermuda. The way the guys commentate on race day, they say she is very, very popular back there. But if we have got any Bermudan listeners, let us know where she ranks. I don't really know the um, top sports in Bermuda. So it was a pretty comfortable one, one by just about a minute. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, she was she was pretty comfortable. She ran away early on. There was a breakaway of three on the bike with Duffy, Zaveris, and Learmonth, and they ended up finishing one, two, and three, and they just absolutely crushed on the bike and just, uh, yeah, just had to do good steady runs to hold off the rest of the pack. So what does it mean for the overall for the year? So she takes it out very, very comfortably. Okay. We'll go into the rankings okay. uh, a little bit later. So girls so, so is it getting a bit boring for girls because she's so dominant? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's quite it's a bugger when you got it's it's almost the worst thing in sport when you get someone who's so good, which you got to love because mm-hmm. they're such an amazing athlete, but when they almost make the sport a little bit boring because they're so dominant. Well, she's got the kind of the Brownleys package almost now. She's almost the strongest swimmer. She's by far the strongest cyclist, and she's equal to the the best girls taking Gwen Jorgensen out of it on the runs. So, very very hard uh, to try to figure out how to beat her. Mm. Men's race was, um, so this course in Rotterdam was extremely narrow. There was lots of sort of bike path, very, very narrow stuff. So it was very, very difficult for, for large packs to form. So they, they did form in terms of the size of them, but, the, you know, the, it was a lot of single file riding, maybe a little bit of, you know, um, two by two, but mostly single file riding. So it made it really difficult for the front group, which was a little bit too large to, to get away and stay away. They did have a break after the swim, and it was a real shame because Gomez could have possibly could have won the race if that group had managed to stay away the, the way that it ended up. So as it turned out, that group of, say, 10 to 12-ish, they did get caught by the, the chase group, which included the likes of Mola and Murray. And you've got that it was too narrow. Like, yeah, what do so, you mean? Well, you, you couldn't really, if you were in, a, in that group of, say, 10 to 12, it wasn't very easy to lap it out because you're constantly going around corners. Oh, okay. And so I think it would have been really, really hard for them to get any sort of decent So on rhythm. a different course, they probably would have stayed different away. Different course, I'm... Um, pretty sure they would have stayed away where they could get a good head of steam yeah. up. Uh, so you still wouldn't want it to be technical, but that was an extremely technical uh, oh, course. In both the females and the males race, I didn't actually see any crashes, which was really surprising given it was wet and there was a lot of white lines. So uh, good bike skills all around from what I could see. Uh, so the guys race came down to a running race um, by and large. There was a few people off the back in the second group. Um, unfortunately, Ryan Sissons, our Kiwi, was uh, one of those. And uh, yeah, it turned into a very, very interesting run. And you kind of thought our Mola will run away with this, but he didn't, uh, far from it. He just had a group of, I think it was five, with Mola... Um, Murray dropped off fairly early, Brownlee dropped off at about halfway, and then it came down to sort of three or four of them with Blumfontein, uh, Blumenfeld, Vincent Louis, uh, Mola, and Gomez. So at this stage you're thinking what? Well, I kind of thought that... Um, you think Mola, wouldn't you? you would th- I was thinking Mola, but it kept constantly changing, so it was really exciting to watch. You didn't know who was going to take it, and then the two that you would 
say are definitely less favoured ended up taking it out. So uh, you had Vincent Louis from France taking the win, and it all sort of happened in the last K or so. I thought Gomez was going to take it for a while. Uh, Imagine if he had of after, was it last weekend or two weekends ago? Last weekend. As I said, if that break had stayed away, he quite possibly could have. That would have been pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, no, he was uh, he was pretty impressive, but he did seem to drop off very quickly in the last sort of five to 600 metres. I thought he was going to have it. Anyway, so it turned out Vincent Louis took it out from um, Blumenfeld from Norway, so great run race by both those two. And then it was Mola in third, I think, and Gomez in fourth. Or was it the other way around? I think it was the other way around. Gomez right. got fourth. Yep, Mola yes. got third. Yep. And uh, Johnny Brownlee is clearly not at his A game. He was fifth, Richard Murray's sixth place. So interesting racing. Would always love to see a slightly more testing bike course with some hills, but in those conditions it was pretty tricky. I'd still really feel that it's a shame that this is not a world championship. Mm. It just, you know, so you got Vincent Louis, you won the grand finale, but he's not going to be remembered as a world champion because, no. because he's not because of the series. And so Mario Mola, the way the series works, is he is he's deemed to be the world champion and he can go around calling himself the world champion. It just doesn't quite fit right with me. What do you think? But what do you think is more impressive to win one race, or to win a series? Oh, I think they're equally impressive. They, they require a different skill set, and and so I think both should be celebrated. So I think the point structure and having a very heavily weighted prize money for the series champion is fantastic. But I would still like to see a standalone world champion. Also, I think for the development of the athletes, it's quite a good thing because, you know, they're being forced to try to peak, you know, every four years for the Olympics. Yep. And by not having a peak race of each season, uh, then it's, they don't kind of get to trial, trial run that out. So you kind of would think, well, maybe it's their responsibility to figure that out themselves. But I would rather say... Vincent Louis, you are the world champion. And uh, um, it's funny, really, because one thing that's your party trick is to know every world championship yeah. up to a certain point in time. Or mm. You pretty much know them all, don't you? I know a lot of them, but since the series started, I couldn't tell yeah. you who won the grand finale in the series at all. Yeah, and even who won the series. Mm. Could you name every series winner? No, but I'd have a stab in the dark. <coughs> yeah, yeah but, but like before that, you could name. Like last much. year, wasn't it? it was um, Schumann won the grand finale. And like. Wouldn't consider him to be a world champion, but on that day he was the best athlete. So I do like the idea of having a single day world championship. It's different, you know. You think, oh, Formula One that works really well to have a series, but it's different when it's an athlete. Um, well, athlete. and also the pinnacle of our sport is one race. Mm. Like the Olympics is one race, mm. <coughs> and so if the pinnacle of our sport is this, and we're trying to prepare our athletes to be the best for the pinnacle of their sport, learning because it's like Mola. Like, no, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he gave it everything in the race. Hmm. But when you, you know you've got your championship, do you kind of lose that 1%? You've got to finish a certain place. And so Athletics has it really nicely with the Diamond League. Big prize money. You turn up at the Diamond League because you want to earn really good money and you turn up at a lot of them. But then they have their World Championships as well. And the World Championships gets a lot more coverage. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, for me, I, I would love to talk to a few more of the uh, athletes to actually see what, their opinions are on That's this point, yeah. because uh, they might f might feel totally differently but uh, your hat's off to Mario Mola he had the most consistent season but I would love to be able to say 2017 was whoever world champion it's, it's funny but you look at like football don't have a championship game do they 
which is like the Premier League don't have a championship game. No. Whereas like NRL, Rugby League in Australia, they'll have a, a Premier champion, which who's won the kind of round robin of the year, and then they go into the final series. And I don't think many people remember the Premier Championship from every year. So, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I agree with you. I, I like the idea of having one race, especially because our sport is an Olympic-based sport where one race really matters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on their day, one, one person has to be the best you know, mm. so I like that. Um, what else? What one a couple of comments was uh, it was really interesting to see a lot more of these athletes taking in gels, and I'm not sure if that was condition related, but I don't recall in many other races a large number of the athletes taking a gel on the run. Whereas this time round, in the cooler conditions, World Championships, it seemed like just about everybody was carrying a gel, and normally I'd only see a handful of them. So not quite sure what the rationale was there, uh, and yeah, plenty of age groupers out there racing. Jeepers. What's the science say with with Top end guys doing well. That's that's what I'm thinking. There's there's obviously something fairly through. new coming through because those guys is very sports science based, uh, and because they're not racing for long, but two right. hours is still a long time. And the run's only thirty minutes, and if they're taking that midway through, yeah, not quite sure. you wonder the benefit, don't you? Mm. Yeah, uh, age, lots of age groupers out there racing. So you have a sprint distance draft legal race at the World Champs and the Olympic distance in theory non drafting race. Uh, it was a bit of a shame that they, they, the run course did not seem to be that accurate for the age group race. Um, but that, then again, they had an extremely long uh, T1. I think it was about five five plus minutes to get from the oh, really? onto the bike. It was a long run. So I, and maybe in th maybe they thought we'll, we'll shorten the run a little bit in terms of compensating for that. But there was some very very fast run times for the age group race. I think in the forty to forty four, I had a quick look, and guys running like thirty two, thirty three oh, okay. minutes. Yeah, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. <laughs> You're not that fast. <laughs> so uh, next year, world champs are in the Gold Coast for age groupers in Australia. So Kiwis, if you want to qualify. Come down to the Pack and Save Tri Festival sprint distance at the end of November, and then you can come down in. Oh, you can qualify there. Yeah, it's a sprint distance. It's a qualifying race, oh, and then stuff. we have the national champs down here at the end of January, uh, again for the Olympic distance non-drafting, and that will be a non-drafting race because that course is pretty tough. We've got an e th email through from Big Miss Zcan. That's yep. what we're calling her. Uh, she did. She did the race. She won her age group sixty to sixty-four, and she was just saying Rob Burrell. Uh, with the race director. So he was the race director of the race and won his age group. And I think he's going to Kona as well. That's pretty impressive because you know what it's like being a race director. Mm. It's pretty full on. For a world championship mm. where you've got bloody 100 races happening, mm. then turn up and do your own, to take out your own championship yourself. It's a pretty impressive effort. She's saying it's pretty wet. But she's saying the bike ride was technical but not as technical as it looked on TV. So she's, right. one thing she said was a lot of age groupers had really bike bad bike skills on the bike. Which is fascinating, isn't it? You think you get to world champs, you'd have some... Well, same thing applied at 70.3 world champs. So old uh, Dr. Feelgood Dave Dwan was telling me, you know, he was biking up there and there was lots of people walking their bikes up that hill at the 70.3 <laughs> world champs. About? It's a world champs. I agree. It's up and up. Mm. It's up and up. You should get disqualified if you've got to get off your bike and DQ. <laughs> I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> Most races know about it. World champs, come on, get it, stay on your bike. It's not swim, bike, Walk, bike, run. No. <laughs> okay, guys, we also had the ITU Hall of Fame, and they've got some pretty good names in here this year, haven't they? They have. So uh, they inducted six people this year by the look of it. Miles Stewart, uh, you can hear him on Legends of Triathlon. I didn't realise he won the world championship when he was 20. He's still I thought the, it was even younger than that. He's the youngest honest. world champion ever, and still mm. is. Mm. There was a sprint finish back in 1991, I think it was. It was on the Gold Coast. His sprint finish with Rick Wells, Mike Pig, 
And there's always one where you forget the last <laughs> one. I think it was Harold Wilson. Harold never no, heard that name ever. Maybe. Who was Harold Wilson? I think that's, yeah, I think that's who the other sprint finish was between. It was, was definitely, it definitely uh, must have been. It was definitely between Rick Wells and Mike Pig, and uh, it was a, it was a really top quality sprint finish. Well, we were watching some videos just what John was getting ready. I was just look, looking at some of the because ITU have put some little clips on YouTube of each of the Hall of Fame inductees and uh, just how much bigger the athletes were. Miles Stewart, and we're watching this clip of Miles Stewart, and I go, "He's a big unit, eh, John?" And they go, "He's lost a pound since the beginning of the year." <laughs> so, so they were because they they're a lot more like an well, even Ironman are leaner than they, nowadays, aren't they? They were just regular sized athletes yeah know? but it's a lot more stockier in the upper body mm, mm. you know slightly more swimmer builds uh, Rob Burrell also got inducted we've had him on Legends of Triathlon uh, he has won world titles he's won Nice he's won uh, he was just one of those European dominators that perhaps you didn't hear quite as much of ar- elsewhere around the world Carl Thomas also had him on Legends of Triathlon he was the um, guy, one of the guys behind the Bud Light sort of tri-series in the States in the, in the 80s and really what took short course racing to the next level yeah, he created the US Triathlon series mm. so yeah uh, and this one I haven't heard of, Joop Van Zetten, a Dutch triathlon pioneer whose contribution has brought the sport triathlon to what it is today. With his endless commitment to vision, Joop played a key role in establishing and formalising triathlon organisations in Holland. Uh, so yeah, obviously a, a bit of a local flavour there. Uh, Barb Linquist definitely get her on legends at some stage she uh was very good athlete went to the olympics for both swimming and triathlon american Mm. yeah yep and uh, just a excellent excellent swimmer she got a silver medal didn't she at the olympics didn't she you can do your research there. I don't think she got an Olympic medal. Okay. She definitely thinks she got a world championship medal and she also was in that era where there were some really good breakaways on the bike and, uh, and and would have got a lot of medals. She also has been, I don't know, the mastermind's the right oh, word. Oh, so silver medal in the world championships. There you go. Yeah, so she, she raced for the US team for 10 years at the ITU World Championships with her best being a silver in medal in 2002 in Cancun. Cancun. In Mexico. So she's also been heavily involved in what we see now with the female Americans being extremely strong. Oh, really? She's kind of been the talent ID person for that and has obviously done a fantastic job. And also uh, Jackie Fairweather was induced to formerly Jackie Gallagher. Gallagher. Uh, So, yeah, a great set of athletes and administrators. It's it's quite cool now because triathlons now are of the age where the the people who started the kind of legacy moment, mm. isn't there? And it's cool. You know, they are getting the right people in these kind of roles. John, we got an email through from Lee. Now, I said his name wrong last week. Lee Cartmel. What did you call him last week? How did you get that one wrong? I don't know how I got it wrong. You know me. I'm very hopeless <laughs> of names. But Lee Cartmel just sent through us a, a link to a Facebook uh, post from an athlete called Emo. How would you say that? Emo yep. Simmons. And uh, just saying how the 70.3 in Chong... Wing, <laughs> yeah. I reckon I've done it right there. Tom Wing uh, has been postponed, and it was postponed really quickly to the race. And Imon has basically said, 
uh, to say I'm disappointed is an is understatement. I've been building up towards what was meant to be a couple of weeks of racing in China, but the first one has just been postponed just a week out from the race for seemingly ambiguous reasons. Who knows? Uh, not only am I disappointed after unaccountable hours of sweat and effort going in to prepare for the race, both physically and as well as mentally, but also the huge financial blitz. Getting a professional being... Getting by as a professional triathlete is not straightforward, and it's certainly not helped by corporations who cancel races, complicate your flight bookings from Europe, visa organisations, etc. Hotel. I am missing out on another opportunity whilst kissing goodbye to a fair sum of money and time spent organising this trip, which could have been spent getting to another race and at least have a chance of taking some winnings. So, not very happy to I mean. No, and it does... It makes China look, not look good, doesn't it? Because it sounds like the po- the press release Iron Man put out was basically it's been postponed because um, unfortunately, what does it say? Sort here? of local authority type yeah. issues, not getting permits, and a week I, before I the do race. I want to put the boot into Iron Man here, but at the same time, I've seen this happen before in other sports as well, and just don't know how things operate in China really. I, so I. I, I kind of want to half kick Iron Man on this one, so just but what, not go the full boot because to the just, butt, not the balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it just sounds like it's a very complicated place to try to organise events. That being said, but that being said, the thing about it is this is a pretty professional organisation mm. owned by Chinese, which is the other thing well, as well. Yeah, really good point. And the other thing is, is that if they're going to go into these countries. They've got to be certain, mm, and you got to you should know this permitting process well in advance. Yeah. Now, a week out, obviously, you know you, you, you get the wrong politician. Who knows what's happened? But pretty frustrating, especially for a pro. Like for mm. anyone, you 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 commit to doing seventy point three or an Ironman somewhere in the world that's not your local area. Mm. You're dropping quite a bit of money. Absolutely. You know. So yeah, it's a really tough one that one. Coming up this weekend. I got pretty excited yesterday, Bevan, for a moment. You thought it was yesterday, didn't you? And uh, and and Torsten got excited as well. So this weekend, some of the races we've got coming up. We've got Challenge Madrid coming up this weekend. And I looked through the start list that Torsten at tryrating.com nicely puts up there. Sort of scrolling through there going, okay. yeah, no, You've got, you got this young guy there, John. Don't really know the don't really know these guys too much. Uh, in terms of oh, Dylan McNeese is, is seated in there. Pete Verbusik. Um and then I'm scrolling down, scrolling down, and then I see Javier Gomez, <gasps> and I go, "Whoa! He's a he's racing again this weekend, and he's doing a challenge race instead of a an Ironman race." Where you would naturally think, "Okay, he's going to go do an Ironman." To he's got good points from seventy point three worlds. He probably only have to do one Ironman maybe a second one to get enough to qualify for Kona next year. So I'm thinking, why is he going and doing a challenge race uh, straight away? But as it turns out, I was wrong. And Torsten was also initially wrong as well because we both thought it was Javier Gomez, but it was Javier Garcia Gomez. You often oh. hear Javier Gomez Neuer or Neuer Gomez. I can't remember which way around it is. Oh, so it's actually not the person. So it's actually the oh, okay. person. <laughs> so my excitement was quashed. Oh, that's a yeah. moment. So we do have uh, Challenge Madrid, which I'm sure will be a great race 
coming up this weekend. Go Dylan McNeese. Uh, we also have Chattanooga, and it's a women's pro race only. Wisconsin was the male's race, and who we got racing there, Jumbo? Well, Carrie Lester is pulled out. Um, so we've got Liz Lyles, Kim Schwabenbauer. I thought she had retired. Kelly Williamson, Jesse Donovan, and you got about sort of 15, 16 pro females over there racing. We've also got Ironman Italy sold out, and it's sold out, which is pretty cool. Mm, first time they've had this race over there. So Timo Bracht is ranked number one on Torsten's tri-rating ranking system. But I think it could be really interesting to see how Andreas Dreitz goes, looking like he might be making his debut over the Ironman distance. So he is a very, very strong 70.3 athlete. We do hope he tidies up his transitions from the 70.3 world champs last week. He had a mare. Obviously over long distance, not quite as important, but he is a weapon uh, on the bike. And if he goes for it, could have a fairly substantial lead coming off the bike. And he can run. I mean, he's still got, I think it was seventh or so last weekend. So Good strong field for this time of the year. You got Alessandro Di Giuseppe in there. Prime uh, Rhodes. Prime Rhodes. Prime Rosie. Dementio Pasuello. Uh, so, yeah. Big massive field. I know. You got 42, no, f- basically 50 something pro men. Mm. And this is not a pro, no, this is pro, and the three females. You got Lucy Gossage. Um, is she's out racing again. God, I thought she'd given up on this professional racing. Oh, Tina Dickens, uh, Elizabeth Gruber, and a bunch of other athletes racing as well. Okay, this weekend, which is probably the most exciting race to be watching this weekend, is Super League number two is happening, and it's it's pretty cool, John. It's going to be a good time. So all you guys in Europe, you know, time zones should be pretty good for you. Time zones for us down here is going to really suck, so I'm hoping I can get up in the morning and uh, not see any spoilers and hopefully they've got Go it all Go straight up to the YouTube, YouTube channel. Yep. Maybe get Belinda to turn on for you. That's a good point. Yeah, don't don't need anyone to, you know, go go to this channel. Well, Belinda's a bit of a cheeky bugger, isn't she? Yeah, she might threaten you with it. <laughs> so is, is it the exact same format as last time? Similar. So they're not doing, like last time they had the uphill TT on one of the days to sort of work out the, the order of starting for one of the handicap races. So it's only over the two days as opposed to the three-day format. So on day one, I think they're doing the triple mix where they do a swim, bike, run, run, bike, swim, bike, swim, run. What are the distances, do you know? They do a 300-meter swim uh, on the bike. It's laps of one kilometer. They do 5K on the bike, and then it's a 1K run circuit. And Oh, that's hard. So swim, bike, run, run, bike, swim, and then bike, swim, run. When I was looking at it this morning, it looked to me as though stage two and stage three are going to be a pursuit style start. So if you whoever's leading after um, the first race manages gets to go first. That's as that's as far as I read. I might be wrong there. I suppose it doesn't matter in the second one because because it's all swims different time. Mm. Yeah, and there's ten minute break. Yeah, so, so you basically top end it ten minutes recovery, top end it ten minutes recovery. <sighs> yeah. And then on day two, the race is going to be the eliminator, the survival of the fastest, where you're basically doing swim, bike, run, um, then have a break. They drop a few people out, and the top 15 go through to the next stage. Then you drop a few more out after the next race, and I think the top 10 go through to the final race. So if you recall from the first round of Super League, Richard Murray really just crushed it out there. And Jake Burkwistle really did very well. 
I think it's going to be fascinating on the guys' side of things, especially. It looked like there were some tired athletes out there last weekend in terms of the grand finale. End of the year. They've been going hell for leather all the way through. You know, you've got to think this first Super League was all the way back in March, and now we're in September. So, And also mentally... Have you mentally finished for the year? Mm. If you know what I mean? Like, is this just your turn up? You think, oh, I'll see what happens. Mm. A bit like the Island House yeah, uh, race. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how this pans out, especially on the guys' side of things. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few different results. Um, so so in the third day, or in the third event, is the Eliminator, and it's Swim Buck Run times three. Oh, that. did you went there? I thought yep. you did the second one. So yeah, only two days of racing, but the big difference this time around is the girls are there as well. So I think in some way it's a good thing that Flora Duffy is not there because I just think, especially in this format, she'd just get away and she'd just kill everybody. So you haven't got Flora Duffy, you haven't got Andrea Hewitt, but you do have most of the other girls there. So uh, yeah. What's the, what's the prize money? I, I looked for that yesterday and I couldn't find it. Okay. So it was it was good, really good prize money at the last race. Assume it must be the same, but I think they will probably get fairly good contract fees in terms of uh, making it worthwhile to turn up. On the guys' side of things, uh, yeah, I think could be a lot of tired athletes out there. Um, so I think we might see some quite different racing to earlier in the year. The other big difference here is the temperature is going to be quite different in, in uh, Hamilton Island. It was obviously really, really hot, and the athletes are finishing and trying to cool down between races. It doesn't look like it's going to be freezing cold over there, but you know, around about sort of the 19 degrees centigrade, so, and I'd imagine the water won't be super warm, so uh, staying warm between races will be more of a, more a factor. So check it out, guys, at superleaguetriathlon.com, and uh, they've got a YouTube channel if you can't, if it's not on your TV channels. Uh, yeah, and last time, I'm not sure if they'll be the same this time, but last time they were really great. I watched, I didn't watch any of it live last time because it was just time of day, it didn't really work for me, but... Every race was pretty much as soon as the race finished, I head up on YouTube to watch, mm. which is really great. So like John said, you, you do want to do your best not to see the results, um, but you can very much just jump on the YouTube channel. And they did a great job because I really, I, and I watched every race. It was mm. really entertaining, good stuff. It's, it's exciting stuff. And we want to support this stuff because we want innovation in our sport, don't we? Mm. So check it out. Okay, discussion of the week, John. So last time we had a discussion of the week and it was, and the discussion was, John, but I just had to push pause quickly then. Um, we are sure some pros would love to hear your answer to this week's discussion. Here it is. Would you, e.g. I am Talk community, tr- uh, try to cr- crowdfund a pro athlete's work? I don't think I wrote that very well. Uh, what would you want in return for, say, $10 a month each year? And this came about because... I think I actually copy and pasted what you did. <laughs> sure you did. <laughs> came about because of the Cannondale Drapak team. They were doing a crowdfunding exercise because it looked like they were basically going bankrupt and couldn't manage to pay everybody. So they did crowdfunding. And I thought, wonder if that would work for a triathlete to for us to try to really get inside the life of the pro triathlete, supporting them at the same, same time. And here's what everybody thought. How Tao, donating to someone to effectively do uh, their hobby, I'd rather donate to a physically challenged athlete to find a way to change their life and give them the opportunity to do something to inspire other children athletes to fight back. Crowdfunding is crowdfunding a fully able athlete to do a hobby is wrong when there are so many other worthy causes and Chrissy McKinlay says totally agree with you smiley face David Hale is a bit hardcore he's got maybe access to training files so I can see what 
is working or what isn't, etc. Also accountability. So at 5 a.m. I can call them and tell them <laughs> to get their lazy ass out of bed. So you want to own them. Yeah, mate. He's like, he's like big brother. Uh, Adam Flipper Philby wouldn't want anything in return, would be happy in the knowledge that my small contribution helps someone achieve their goals. Sign me up. Uh, Mick Simpson's got, this world, the world seems to be going towards this idea of crowdfunding someone else's dream. No, I don't agree with it at all. You want to be a professional triathlete, you back yourself that you can make money from it. Professional athletes in all fields have to have a level of confidence that they can sometimes border on arrogance to reach the very top. And in my experience, uh, and if you have to ask average Joe to support you, then I don't think they'll get there. Morton Nerby Paulson, I'd want him or her to train and mentor 10 to 20 talents and put on three, two to five camps in pre-season for the talents. If the pro gets a bike sponsor, the bikes have to be a gift for talent in need at the end of the season. We need pros to get closer involved in the development of our sport. Good old Swanny Noah, Richard Swan's got $120 a year is a massive amount of money. For what type of investment would you want to return on any winnings? I would see investing 120 at the TAB, which is our betting agency in New Zealand, is a wiser investment. Christopher Doyle, I don't believe in capitalism. Oh, no, I, sorry, I completely got that wrong. I believe in capitalism. Uh, if he or she is not good enough, they shouldn't need my money. Good old uh, Tainan, how does that one? Narawaski. Uh, I am talk athletes. Uh, taking on Bahrain it's a great concept and something that is a good idea it could be a proven uh, to provide a platform for up and coming athletes to step out and see what they can do without having to worry about money or work train as the balance is so much as for a return it's about supporting people and doing nothing without wanting something in return uh, life's not always about what I want it's more about what you can bring to it Helping people achieve dreams is an amazing thing to be able to do. Go team, I am talk. Uh, this is an interesting one. Matt Moran, uh, I heard about an F1 driver who sold shares in themselves, which paid dividends over time. Let's buy someone. You know, the professional poker players do that. Really? Yeah, So, because like to enter a tournament costs so much money. Mm -hmm. So what you might have a $100,000 entry fee. And so, or even just to take the risk out of it. So you might get the top five guys and they say, okay, well, I'll have 25% of you and they all kind of, Chip mm. in. Yeah. So it wouldn't work in the triathlon world because you're never going to get a return. But it was really funny because in New Zealand we had this program called The Block, which is one of those. Do you watch it? John? Oh, those programs are painful. No, but did you watch it? No. No, neither. But it was quite controversial because it's been on the talk recently because they had the, the finale the other night and they made no money. Like a, one couple, a girl from the gym goes out with one of the guys on it and he yeah. only made a thousand bucks. So it was pretty heartbreaking. And um, But I think only one couple made like 30K. And, but, but they won 100,000. So, if you played the game right, you would have had a friend in the crowd buy the house, mm. get 100k, and then sell the house later. So it was basically a, a, a renovation program. There's always a way to scam it, John. Bevan, uh, what are your thoughts? Would you like to crowdfund someone, and if so, what would you want in return? I'm a bit of a tight ass, John. <laughs> But one thing I tend to do in life is if friends come to me with a give a little page for fundraising, <laughs> no, I, I will I'm always... I'm just thinking of something I can come up so I can get some money. No, but like if, if I've got a friend who's doing a, a fitness challenge or they're trying to grow and they want to do a charity alongside it, John, I will always support that. So we'll always put some money towards that because we just kind of think it's good to do that. And it's A, because it's helping with charity and B, I want to support my friends in doing something. So I would do it. I don't know if I'd want to do a give a little, especially ongoing... Mm for a pro athlete um, I kind of agree with that concept of 
if you're a pro athlete, you part of your job is to make money. Yep. You know, and so that's an aspect. But in saying that, this is a platform to make money. Like, mm. we, you know, look at what we do in the show. We ask our audience to support us. Mm. And the audience get value from what we, what we do. And so they support us through patronage. And I've got my other podcast, I'll do the same thing. So, you know, if an athlete can provide value to that, and it might be that they do online private seminars each week which teaching about training so if that's the case i you know and maybe then, i wouldn't do then that. you're not really then that's i totally agree then you're not really necessarily crowdfunding them you're kind of paying for a service but crowdfunding and, and, and often comes with something mm. you know so, so there's levels so that's where it sort of sits for me as well is i would be interested in paying a or donating to, towards a pro if I can go, if they, if, if as you said, if they uh, put a complete training diary up there and maybe did, you know, a little Q and A every so often. Yeah, and and then I because that, that's what's interesting for me is actually to see what the, how these pros train day to day, week to week. There's no point, you know, you see some articles in magazines, uh, pros' favorite training sessions. Yeah. It's like, well, what about the rest of the time? Uh, and really see how how they actually live their lives that would be of interest for me for the Ironman athletes so um, yeah I wouldn't be really that interested in just dishing it out saying good luck to you um, I want to shoot but at the same time I can't remember who said this but the idea of maybe it was Tyron Tynan sorry um, this whole idea of it would be kind of cool just to give someone who's maybe pretty good but can't really fully commit mm. you know the chance to see what would that give them mm. you know like if if you know, the person who does have to work a little bit, but actually potentially could be a really good athlete, but just can't do that crossover moment mm -hmm. to give them a moment where you go, here's, here's years of income. Mm -hmm. What can you do with that? Where you just train like an animal. Like how many athletes never made it because of the fact that they couldn't afford to give it a try? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a really interesting question because I'm, I'm sure there's people who probably could have been world champions who, you know, just didn't have that financial backing to make it work. So, yeah, a lot of them probably just need a little bit of a business mentor as well to, to actually try to generate things. And I really liked um, Ob Molina sent through, and I've had a couple of people send through Ben Knut's power file from mm. the 70.3s. Training Peaks have produced that, and it's a, it's a good good read in terms of the amount of power he produced for a, for a pretty small-looking dude. Uh, and it was an impressive power file. Well, talk was, the numbers. His variability was only 1.03. You know, when I would, if I was to have, look at the way well, that what he was is, driving. What's the variability for people who don't know? Hold on a second. I'm just pulling out the page now. You've, okay. you've, you've pulled me up. So in terms of his numbers, he produced a power, average power of two, uh, 325 watts, uh, normalized power of 334. And that means he had a variability index of 1.03, which means he didn't have massive spikes and massive drop-offs in his effort. So despite it being a very, very hilly course, he still kept his power output relatively even. So he's just really consistent. Yeah, and what you see with a lot of age group power files is there's often a lot of freewheeling when it comes to downhill. You're doing a lot of freewheeling on the downhills as well. You often um, see spikes in effort. Now he had a clear open road yep. to, to totally do Demetorial what he wanted packs to do. Or people like that. Um, and then the other numbers on there that are interesting is average cadence is 99, which really shows you know a lot of age group athletes are going to be in the 80s. It's pretty high, isn't it? Um, and I'm picking, he's not a big dude. I'm picking he's probably somewhat similar size to me, probably about 70 kgs, maybe What's a little bit What's per kg is pretty high, isn't it? It's impressive. So you know to put this in perspective, he's he, average power of 325 watts. For me, and you guys know where I'm at in terms of the pecking order, Reason, reasonable age group, but 325 watts for me is a 16 kilometer or 10 mile time trial. All out. 
balls to the wall or 20 minute time trial and he's able to achieve that for 90k's and still put on a respectable uh, very respectable run so yeah if you want to go check it out it's up on training peaks in terms of looking through I'll put a link to it in the show notes and it was interesting he was talking about his coach because he's using um, Jim, Jim Vance Hartz. isn't it yeah mm. and uh, Jim Vance was saying if you can ride like this and you can run anywhere between 114 to the 116 you're going to be on the podium and if you can get to the top end of that you'll win it and uh, he was right he ran 116 if he'd won, run 114 he probably would have won it Mm. So, good, so good I think coaching thing, things things like that in terms of athletes share. You know, Lionel Sanders is quite good at that as well in terms of sharing information. Gives you the bigger following, then gives you the opportunity to either possibly crowdfund, saying I'm going to put all my training stuff up here for people that are interested. You can donate here or, or be part of my team. To be someone who's done a really good job of it is Chris McDonald mm-hmm. with his big sexy team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's done a team based around him, and it's, and they get merch and stuff like that. But he's built a real community around him being an athlete. And, he, you know, I'm not sure how much money he's made out, but I think he's done pretty well out of that one. So if you guys know of a pro, this is one thing that I'd love to do, is if you guys know of a pro that's really chatty and, and happy to speak their mind, I'd be really interested in having someone on on a regular basis and not trying to get the bullshit answers that you get. You know you know when you have a, pre, a pre-race interview with someone, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling really good, really strong, and uh, training's gone really well. They're not going to tell you they're feeling like rubbish. I'd love to have some pre- and post-race interviews really talking about their approach to the race, how the training's gone, also their mental approach as they go through the day and actually tactically how they wanted the race, want the race to pan out. Now, you wouldn't go releasing that before the race because then mm. it gives the, the opposition all their tactics, but I would love to be able to do a pre-race interview and say, we're not going to release this till after the race, do a post-race interview as well, um, a bit like what we do in Kona, and really try to get a bit more of the nitty-gritty rather than the standardised answers. I'd love to have someone on to do that on a regular basis. If I've always thought we should, do, we should do mid-year interviews of people telling them that it's not coming out till after Kona, mm-hmm. you know, because... Leading up to kind of everyone's, oh, I've been trying to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You, you know, and, uh, you know, you have to, you're putting your cards on the table, you don't want to give everything. But then afterwards, people are like, oh, I knew six months ago, you yeah. know, or, you know, I was feeling great. And, you know, it's, it's, you, you don't get the honest answer until you get across the line, do you? Yeah. Or tactically, you know, if someone's going into Kona and they're saying, I am just going to go nuts when we get to Kauai High up yeah. to Harvey, figuring out what their strategies are and then having a chat afterwards and, and, and seeing how it panned out. So. Just, just going back to Gwen, um, Gwen Jorgensen, she has had a baby, it's about a month old now, oh, yeah. and she's looking pretty fit based on the photos she put on um, Twitter, mm-hmm. so she's obviously getting back to kind of sport pretty quickly. Interesting, Nicholas Berg was actually racing last weekend at the ITU World Championships uh, over in Rotterdam, oh, nice. didn't, didn't do particularly well. Um, well you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I don't really know what she's she's been up to. Oh, just a couple of other results that I forgot to mention from Torsten while we're panning out the show. There was well, very I did do this week's discussion, but we will, yep. Uh, other than the ITU World Champs last weekend, there was a couple of challenge races. There was Challenge Davos, which Thomas Steger took out, and Lena Berlinger. And then there was also 70.3 in Weymouth, where James Carnema crushed everybody by six minutes, and Catherine stuff from Belgium took out the girls race thanks to Torsten at tryrating.com okay Jonbo so this week's discussion John John, John, John was talking <laughs> you around food one came from. but he just wants to know on race day what do you have for breakfast and why type that in because you'll copy and paste and, and why do you have particular done show notes, John. you do this again to me oh. you know I'll put the why in what do you do on race day breakfast and why do you do it anything else you want to do add do you always in? have the same thing pretty close yeah 
pretty close, but we'll go into that next week. Oh, I can't wait, John. <laughs> Fast forward a week. You're as excited about my pre-race breakfast as I am about your haircut. <laughs> exactly. We've got a big couple of weeks coming up, Jumbo. Okay, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. So we're going to put it, we're going to put, John's put an audio file in. I, I, I've now mastered the fact, the, the way of. How'd you do it? You just copy and paste a URL from a YouTube clip into uh, some other generator thing and it, and it makes the uh, audio do you know, file. Do you, do you know even easier way to do that, John? How? When you go to YouTube, so here's a trick for all you people out there. This is, this is, we're going to get to streaming joints really soon. But when you go to YouTube, and let's say you want to copy a video from YouTube, mm-hmm. you just put SS before. So you go dub, 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 SS. Oh, shit. Viz. Hey, language. Shit, viz, I said, John. Is it SS? No, you, before... <laughs> this is a great tip, this one. I think you go SS there. Do you want a minute to think about this yeah, one? it's not really... Okay, this is a disaster. Okay, here's the end <laughs> right now. Extreme endurance is scientifically proven to dramatically improve an athlete's performance in a matter of days. Science has proven there's no questioning the quantitative results of the most advanced sports nutrition product in the world. The recent double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover study was just conducted at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette by Dr. David Bellar. Sixteen active males were tested while using extreme endurance, and the results were even more dramatic than the first European published clinical study. A 26% reduction in lactic acid, a 39% reduction post-exercise oxidative stress, and a six-times reduction of CK levels or muscle damage. Without question, you will perform at a higher, more efficient level. Any athlete not using extreme endurance is simply at a disadvantage. The evidence is conclusive. There we go, John. So, xendurance.com, you can check it out. Remember the promo code IAMTALK20 if you're on the .com or any of the European sites and you get 20% discount. And if you want to go to YouTube and download, basically after W... So, you choose a video, Norm MacDonald is a comic genius... McDonald was my favorite. So you're going to the YouTube the video. U- URL. Yep, you click on that. And then bef- after the www dot, yeah. between the dot and the YouTube, so the Y, you push SS, push click, and it takes you to save from the net. And then what they'll do is it gives you options of how to actually download it straight away. See that? So there's the clip. There's, there's nothing between. See that? So SS. Just between the dot, so www dot. And you normally go YouTube, but then you'd put SS YouTube. Right. But you click on the link and then you see that, and then it gives you options of how you want to download it. It's very yeah. easy. Nice. Yeah, see? just It's not just a triathlon show, it's an educational show, John. X Endurance, John Mo. I sat down with Braden Curry over the internet. <laughs> yeah. You were sitting down, though. I was sitting down, he was sitting down as well. And we just, I thought we'd catch up Braden because he's, go, he's almost a dark horse, isn't he? I wouldn't say he's a dark horse for the win, but I think he's got a good chance top of... Top five. Top ten, top five would be pretty exceptional. Oh, you reckon? I reckon maybe top five. Mm. I, top, I think fifth. Mm. Don't know top three. Yeah. But let's talk to Braden right now and we'll talk about that afterwards. Here's Braden Curry, Kiwi legend. Hi, hey guys. I've got to say, pretty happy to have the New Zealand's legend of the sport right now, Braden Curry on the show today, mate. How you going? Yeah, good, Bevan. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Uh, one thing I wanted to start on today was... Um, you know, you're, you're a family man, and you've often talked about being a family man and, and how that's really important for you, but you're also a pro athlete, which means travels and kind of life away from home is a big part of your life. Can you maybe just talk to us a little bit about the management of that? Um, yeah, yeah, it is definitely pretty interesting, and probably at the moment it's been uh, highlighted um, the most it ever has been in my life. Uh, I'm not lucky enough to have a pretty supportive wife 
and uh, my kids, and they love traveling. So the last, what, five years, we've all traveled together, and I've probably, I think the longest stint I did was uh, two weeks, maybe apart um, from those guys. But uh, yeah, this year, just things haven't quite lined up um, as well, and it was just going to be too expensive to bring them to the States and for them to get to go to Kona. So uh, yeah, this year, we're having to do a five-week block here in Boulder without them, and they're hanging out in Monaco. There's kind of two sides to that. What are the advantages and what are the disadvantages? Um, oh, to be honest, I mean, I, I like having them around when I train. Um, yeah, I just think, yeah, you know, training for me, uh, if you're just training purely then uh, and you don't sort of have that outside um, thing going on, you know, you don't get to come home from seven hours of training and hang out with them and, and feel like you're sort of fulfilling that part of your life too can be quite hard. Yeah. Um, but I definitely look at them as a real positive thing to have around. Um, so, but yeah, I guess this this time it hasn't quite worked, um, and it'll be really interesting to see in this next five weeks if uh, if it does change things for me. Maybe maybe there is ability to train more. Um, you know, have a little bit more focus on recovery. Um, you know, make sure it is completely sitting down on the couch, putting my feet up, not going for an easy bike ride with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll tell you in five weeks if it, if it works, that side of it. Because well, well, you're kind of saying that for you, the other thing in your life is family. So when you don't have family around, what do you do to make sure that you're not just one-dimensional? Um, good question. <laughs> yeah, I've never had to deal with it before, to be honest. I've always been there. Uh so, yeah, I guess it'll be, it'll just be a bit of a balancing act, you know, just making sure I do um, take that time out when I'm not training. And, um, yeah, I'm lucky enough these days with technology that this time of day, uh, two o'clock is them getting up in the morning um, and they're getting up half an hour early. So I have a bit of time, half an hour on Skype with them and um, hopefully I'll be able to balance out the training with recovery and, yeah, be good. Hey, um, so Santa Cruz, 70.3, uh, well, this is going next week's show, so a couple of weeks ago now. Um, tell us about the race. It was a pretty exciting race to watch. So tell us, talk, talk us through the day. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a really interesting race. Um, not quite what I was planning uh, with the with the year kind of unfolding, how it was. Um, Kona being my main focus, uh, I I kind of I wanted a reason to come to the states, and I just for some reason this year I didn't want to race seventy point three worlds. Um, I just felt that probably Kona was a big enough race as it was. Sort of one world champs was a big enough race as it was um, for my focuses, and um, that it would be nice to do a race that probably didn't have as much pressure um, and potentially a stacked field. Uh, but it was quite funny when I looked at the uh, start list two weeks out from the race to see that the likes of Tim O'Donnell and Ben Hoffman and at that time Terenzo was on there um, and, you know, four or five, Andy Boshur and Jake uh, Montgomery, you know, there's actually quite a few guys who are probably thinking the same thing I was. Yeah. Let's just have a good test, have a good race, see where we're at, but try and do it in a field that's not as stacked as 70.3 Worlds and doesn't have the pressure. Um, so yeah, it was cool. You know, it was, I had to take it in my stride and go, all right, well, it's not going to be an easy race. Um, how am I going to do it? And, 
yeah, it started off with a bit of a funny morning. Um, the fog um, came in really thick and fast at about 6 a.m. and meant that the swim was delayed by half an hour. Um, and still by that time, they couldn't get enough visibility to be able to run the swim. So they had to pull it back to a 750-meter swim. Wow. Um, and, yeah, I guess for me, it just kind of uh, changed the dynamics of the race a little bit. I guess you just had to sort of think about, like, who was going to be in that bunch, like Andy Boshua, potentially we were going to get a bit of a gap on if it was a full-distance swim, 1.9, but with a 750-metre swim, it doesn't give you much of a chance to get away from guys like that. Um, so we came out of the water, um, myself, Matt Franklin, um, and Jake Montgomery probably had maybe a 10-second lead, and then all the other guys, I think there was a field of 38 of us pretty much there, um, so it's a big stack field coming out onto the bike and, uh, yeah, bike went pretty smooth. Um, boys took off really hard when we hit the highway and, uh, I kind of knew that I couldn't push that power, um, that early on. And I still knew that so likes of Tim O'Donnell and that were coming behind me. And at that time, Andy Bosher was still coming from behind. So, uh, yeah, I kind of just sat back to what I thought was a good, good power um held there to about the 50 60k mark when uh tim o'donnell caught me up um and then i sort of shuffled to the back of his group and uh he yeah he just rode really well really strong really consistent and that managed to pull us back up to ben hoffman um jake montgomery but uh yeah at that point in time we were four minutes down um from andy bosher and uh yeah we all sort of the rest of us went out on the run together and then, and then the run yeah yeah that's definitely where things got interesting <laughs> um it was good now like i i haven't been working on speed a lot lately um just doing more volume than what i would probably normally do in the run um and obviously more road focused running uh so yeah it was it was Ben Hoff was Andy Bosher, he was well out of sight. Um, and then Ben Hoffman, Jake Montgomery were probably 20 seconds in front of me, 30 seconds in front of me. Um, and then maybe, uh, you know, halfway between that was Tim O'Donnell. Um, and that was sort of us coming out of transition. So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'll jump on the back of Tim, um, and see how that feels, but I'm not very good at, sitting behind someone so I went to the front and led Tim straight away he and then I was like oh I might as well run up to Hoffman and Jake um so we ran up to those guys and again I was I felt really good um I think we we're sort of running 310 pace um oh, nice. and I was like this is really fast and people are going to break really quick if we keep running this pace um so I did and uh just kept pushing it and it only ended up there, yeah, me and Hoffman um, stuck there together. And obviously we slowed down the back of the courses a little bit like uh, the mount, uh, where it's sort of probably actually a bit more technical than the mount. It's a bit more undulating and sort of sandy four-wheel drive track that goes around a bit of a cliff edge. Um, and then it leads back onto the road again. So, yeah, we were running pretty hard and fast through that, and I was just kind of hoping that um, the Hoffman would 
would blow up. Um, and at that time, we had passed Andy Boshua, so we took that four minutes out of him. Um, and when we passed him, he actually just pulled his shoes off and pulled out. Oh, really? Uh, oh, wow, okay. Had enough. Pretty, yeah, he had, had enough. Uh, he, yeah, I think he'd been struggling with a bit of, well, no, he had a foot injury come on during the run, I think. Um, so, yeah, he just pulled the pin and, and uh, caught, a, caught a cab home, I think. <laughs> um, Got the Uber. And he had been carried on. And uh, that was that was good. It was really cool. I don't think I've actually had uh, to run with someone for a full 21k, and uh, he never went in front of me. He just uh, oh, really? set the, he set the tempo, and I'd push on all the hills that I could, and I'd try and open it up on the downhills. And uh, again, he would just sit there and and bide his time. Um, and it wasn't till Oh, the last maybe 300 metres where he made a bit of a move. Um, he came around me, but that was sort of just before we had quite a steep descent. Um, and I kind of knew that if I I gave it all on the descent that I'd probably get past him again. So, yeah, shot past him on the outside. And, and at that point in time, it was just a hard right-hand turner into the finishing shoot. Um, so I managed to get around him and cut him off on the finishing line pretty much. Wow. Well, what's going through your head in a race like that? Because in, in long course, you don't really, as you see, you don't really have those tight finishes as often. So when you're, you know, maybe let's say you're 15Ks into the run, what are you thinking to go, how do I get my, how am I going to win this thing? Like what's going through your head? Um, oh, definitely mixed emotions. Like, uh, you know, that first five or six K, uh, especially in that race was, um, you know, feeling really strong and running really well. And it was, you know, quite exhilarating to be running with Hoffman and, and Tim O'Donnell and be chewing so much time out of um, Boucher that you weren't really thinking about it. It was just like, I'm just going to go to the front, keep pushing the pace, push the pace, push the pace and see if I can crack these guys. Um, but there's quite a significant mental change when you kind of, I think, hit that 15, 16K mark um and you've been running pretty much full full tat the whole time uh and things definitely start to hurt and uh you still haven't broken the person yeah it's uh it's a real it's quite a mentally challenging game to think well you know he's run with you this whole time is he saving something or what's he got but um yeah you just have to believe that he's hurting as much as you are and if you keep on pushing there'll be a time that time that he cracks and uh yeah i just sort of mentally just try and stay as positive as i can and um think of all the good things that i've got around me and keep going it's um but the thing is that's the moment we want as an athlete isn't it that you know that that's the challenge we desire isn't it yeah yeah it is actually it's um funny i listened to a audio book well iron wars a few weeks ago and you know they did that first segment on about um you know the psychology of triathlon and how you know there's so many sports out there in this world and that you know quite often triathletes are addicted to the pain um of it and that exhilaration that kind of adrenaline that comes from it um and at a moment like that you know you're right on that border of of just beyond pain really and you just it's it's definitely addictive to have a challenge like that where someone's just pushing you so hard um and you yeah you've got to you've got to be 100 percent committed to want to battle them back 
Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all it's the, the real test of self, isn't it? So Kona's the, the big goal this year. Have, have you actually spent much time over there already? I know you've done Xero before, but have you actually spent much time in Kona doing any training and getting to know the terrain and stuff like that? No, I haven't. Um, yeah, you know, I would have loved to have got to do it, um, but, you know, it's just life. Uh, you can't really get everything you want. And um uh, to be honest, you know, I just want to go and see what happens this year. And to, yeah, I, I sometimes that makes the best races for me is to be going there and you know not really have too much of a plan. Just go with how the race unfolds and and then put everything on the line when I can. And um, yeah, so I'll I'll get there ten days out from the race. Um, I'll check out the course then. And uh, obviously, you know who the competition's going to be. And uh, yeah, we'll go and see what happens. Everyone who's been to Kona's got great advice this year. Um, and, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But like, what are some of the advice that you get from maybe other pros about racing Kona? Because it's, it's often the one race where you've got all the guns there. It's a different dynamic to any other Ironman you're going to do, even 70.3. Uh, so what's kind of some of the tips that you're getting that actually, from a pro, are pretty key? Um, yeah, exactly. Everyone's got advice. So you have to take and leave, uh, what you think. And a lot of that comes down to how you race as well. Um, so I've got a pretty strong idea on how I race. Um, so I have to sort of think about myself a lot there. And, uh, obviously the pro race, it depends what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to finish, um, and you're trying to get there, then, you know, maybe I'll, I'll sit back and I'll look after myself and I'll keep really hydrated and, um, you know, I'll let the big boys just roll past me and I'll, I'll do my thing. Um, but it doesn't really sit that well with me. No, um, no. As you were saying, I was like, he's full of crap. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I think the best way to learn how to, you know, race a race like that is to go and just give it everything. And if I, you know, if I, I get in the mix or if I'm calling across the finish line at, you know, I'll be happy either way. Um, so for me, I think the biggest advice I've been getting is a lot about how to play the ride, um, the bike. I just think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Um, you just got, you know, you got the gurus. Uh, you look at someone like Jan, who is a phenomenal rider, but also I just think he's a phenomenal tactician. Um, he knows where to put himself. He knows, you know, not to let himself get too far back in the bunch or he knows you know not to let someone sit fifth wheel in the bunch because they're probably going to let it go um so i think he's very very clever in the way that he races um and yeah again you don't want to be the one on the front kind of driving that that pace and um maybe you're going to decide to let the likes of andy Boshaw or someone like that potentially you're just going to let them go so um yeah i'll definitely a fair few ideas of how I'll try and ride that ride. Um, it probably won't be too conservative, but uh, I'll I'll definitely put myself in a try and put myself in a good place. It's, it seems like you're saying that this year is very much have the experience, learn your lessons, do the best you can. But what, how would you think? What would you define as a good day in Kona? Um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm still struggling with that question, oh, really? actually. Okay. <laughs> the more you learn about it, the more you're like, shit, maybe a top 10 is good. Um, <laughs> you know, when I first had the idea of going, a top 10 doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, no, it's something, you know, in my world, if, you know, I could get there, I can do a top 10, then, you know, I'll be happy with that. But if I get a chance to run and I'm in the mix, then, uh, yeah, I, I, I love, I love run battles and I I quite like heat. So, and you uh, work well in the heat, do you? Yeah, I don't, I've never had an issue with heat before. So like Maui and stuff like that, that are that 35, 90% humidity, um, hasn't bothered me yet, but Kona can be a whole different story, I guess. You know, you, you come from a multi-sport background, had a, a really successful multi-sport career. You still kind of dabble in it a little bit nowadays, but you kind of seem to be definitely more triathlon-focused. What's shifted in the way you train from being a multi-sporter to being a triathlete? Um, it's probably more around lifestyle, I guess. So uh, racing multi-sport, adventure racing, um, when I started, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, probably the fact I was chasing races. It was the fact I was chasing money at the okay. end of the day. You yeah. know, like that's probably I, – I wanted to do it because I love the sport and I love the challenge, um, but we needed to pay the bills at the same time. Yeah. And had uh, kids and we had sort of sold a business in Australia and we had purely put our life in the fact that I was going to become a professional athlete. So, um, you know, adventure racing was pretty much – you know, race to race, and I'd I'd take you know five day races in China with uh, Richard Usher and those guys, um, and I look back on them, and the, it, they were really just big training blocks for the oh, other really? races. Um, and in between those races, there was probably only two weeks downtime before the next race, so it was a lot of just race, recover, freshen up, go race again, race, recover, freshen up, go race again. Um, that was pretty much my life for three years. Uh, so now things are quite different. Um, it's not living from race to race anymore. Lucky enough, I've got some awesome sponsors and we've managed to sort of get on top of that with a few good races um, that I can I can design my year more to have good training blocks, um, put myself in good locations with good people around me and uh, have a lot more focus on my actual training than ever before. And how's the actual training changed, or is it very just like I know what you're saying is that you kind of just racing was how you keep fit and fit in the past, but what's what, how do you train now? Um, well, I mean, probably to start, I never had a, a coach, um, oh, didn't you? so yeah, and then I, I've worked with a couple of different coaches, but now I'm with uh Bevan McKinnon from Fitter, yep. Um, so I've been with him for the last year, and uh. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, my training's become a lot more serious uh, with what I do and just a lot more precise. So, um, yeah, it, it's not rocket science at the end of the day. We do a lot of hours. We go back and forth a lot in the pool and we do big hours on the bike and we go and run a lot. Um, and every now and then we do sessions that are to set powers and we work out FTPs and we manage heart rates and we manage... We're at altitude now, so oxygen saturation, how much we can train, and um, yeah, all of all of the above. But at the end of the day, you do lots of hours and you get out there. Well, one thing that you've done really well is be a professional triathlete. And, and now we can look at results and say you're doing really well as an athlete, but you're very, you know, at least from the outside perspective, you're very professional in the way you kind of run your business, if you know what I mean. Like you're a brand um, and, you're, you know, just everything about you has a touch of professionalism that's really strong. Uh, 
why are you able to achieve that? And what would be some tips that you'd give to maybe up and coming pros or some insights that even age groupers could learn from someone like you who seems to have done really well to navigate a career out of this sport? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a good question because it is, it's a tough one in New Zealand. You know, yeah. we're definitely, it's, uh, it's a small country, triathlon, adventure racing is a small sport. Um, it's pretty simple math that there's only so many people out there riding bikes and buying bikes, so they can only afford to pay so much or give you so much or do anything like that. So um, compared to somewhere like America where you know, you've got millions of people that are, are riding bikes and buying gear, so it's very important for them to have big ambassadors out there. Um, yeah, the big things in New Zealand is just trying to, trying to really bring value um, to the company. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've got a good team behind me. Um, so, you know, my wife has a huge part to do with that. Um, she manages, you know, the website and a lot of my social media side of things. Um, also, you know, flights and organization like that, um, covers all that. So that takes a lot of pressure off me, um, having to think about that, those kind of resources and um management but um at the end of the day you know sponsors um just having good working relationships um is the big thing that we really we we probably regard the highest um so we we want to make sure that with every sponsor that we've got that we feel like that we're offering them everything that we can mm. um and so, you know, at the moment, uh, I've got my brother-in-law here. He's uh, he's just finished a degree in, um, you know, film production. Um, and so he's here producing content um, for all of our sponsors, and we deliver that to them for free. Nice. Uh, and we can't take the hit for that. Um, but we believe that, you know, that kind of just going that little bit further for our sponsors and and creating content that they can use and promote me will a help my brand help uh what i do and into the future and it'll also help them be able to you know share my story um at the same time so yeah we definitely look at what i do these days as a business um and we invest quite a lot into it at the same time yeah what, what do you love being about being a pro athlete um Oh, I mean, I love it. The lifestyle's awesome, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's never, it's not really monotonous, you know? If you if you work it really well, you get to travel to incredible places. Um, you get to meet awesome people. Uh, even being a dad, you know, I get to travel with my kids. And, um, yeah, if I, if I work it really well, then I get up in the morning, I train, I'm home, I get to have breakfast with them. I either take them to school or preschool grab a coffee with them, um, and then I go training again and pick them up, you know, at 3 o'clock or, um, you know, after preschool, mid-afternoon, and um, I couldn't really think of a job that I can be so flexible with what I do um, and, you know, and get to travel and, and be my own boss. Just going to your hometown of Wanaka, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a hub for endurance sport. Why do you think that's the case? Um, I just think probably just the assets it has on its doorstep, you know, the lake is just incredibly beautiful resource and um, as well as, you know, having the really good running trails and some good cycling and stuff like that. It's, uh, 
it's just a good all-round place in my mind. The food's really good. The people are super supportive and friendly. Um, the community really gets behind what we do as a family, um, and it'd be really, you know, it'd be really hard to do what we do without the support of the mm. school and um, the community. They're just, they're awesome. Um, and I guess as a hub, it's just, uh, yeah, probably that. You know, the lifestyle provides for it. The summers are really good they're really dry you hardly ever get rain get a lot of wind but um yeah 90 percent of the time it's great post kona um obviously i'm in new zealand next year is probably the the main goal post kona or what, how do you kind of take out you know obviously peaking for kona having the best race possible there um what happens from there forward um well yeah we'll we'll, we'll see how summer i mean summer's pretty much mapped out for me and it's pretty exciting, actually. I feel like I haven't been racing that much, so um, it's it's good to know that I took this next five weeks off, and then I'm back into it. So I've got Kona, and then I've got two weeks, and I'll do Exterior Worlds. Oh, you're doing it again, uh, are you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll go line up Exterior Worlds. So I think it'll be really interesting, actually. I haven't seen, you know, like likes of Ben Hoffman. Um, he's done it the last few years, done the double, and uh, potentially not had the result that he's – um, you know, that he potentially has got. He's an incredible athlete, I mm. think, and I've raced him at Xterra um, before when he's been fresh and, and on form and it's been his focus race and he, he beat me. Um, so I know that he's, he's pretty talented at riding a mountain bike and stuff. Um, so, But for me, uh, I'll probably take that race just as serious as I take Kona because uh, I love racing Xterra and I love riding my mountain bike. So... Um, yeah, no, that's pretty exciting to recover and get to go race that. Um, then it's home for maybe two weeks and probably go to Asia Pacific, uh, half Ironman championships, Western Australia there. Then it's home for two week, oh, a week, two weeks. And then it's Taupo 70.3. Um, you know, with the dates of Port of Tauranga changing, I'm not sure whether I'll be able to make that this year. Yeah. Um, but it'll probably be back to uh, Red Bull Defiance. Um, my event down in Wanaka there. Uh, that's on the same weekend. Um, Challenge Wanaka has turned to a half, yep. which is a professional race, uh, which is really good for yeah. me. Yeah. In my hometown, it's two weeks out from Ironman New Zealand. Um, don't need to travel, roll out the door and go do that. Uh, I'm in New Zealand, and then I'll probably take a break. Do, do, coast to coast is dead to you now, well, at least for the next period of time. Yeah, I mean, last year was uh, obviously a prime example of um, probably mental strength, but not really the physical ability to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really felt like uh, obviously my run was still on form; that was fine, and, and my cycling was there, but the kayak took too much out of me. Yeah, um, I just. I think really for me to go back to compete at the level that I want to for that event, um, I need to be able to train in the kayak over yeah. winter. Um, I need to have that, well, at least from now, kind of, you know, I need to have that four or five month block leading up to Christmas. And then I just need to have a little bit of a sharpen up um, after Christmas to go and race it. But last year I tried to do it on the back of sort of four weeks kayaking um, from what yeah christmas day <laughs> after race day oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, not well, very specific still, training <laughs> yeah well i still made it and i didn't lose too much time it was it's just what it it just wiped me you really? know i just hit 
bike and I was um, I was just wiped. Like I thought that I couldn't ride a bike anymore. Wow. But you know, out to Ironman New Zealand a few weeks later and, and I can still ride a bike all right. So yeah. um, it wasn't my cycling that was probably weak. It was the fact that I was just so wiped from yeah. the kayak. Yeah. Um, one more question for you. John, John, actually, John sent me through a question. He's just said, what do you reckon you could bang a 400 meter out in the pool at right now? A 400 meter in the pool right now. Um, just under five minutes. Nice, nice. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck in Kona. You're one of our, our Kiwi hopefuls, and uh, I, I reckon you could put off a top five. I reckon that's my that's my prediction for you. You know, I reckon if you can get it right, you get that run right, mate. You know, you're a top five, and who knows where you go from there? There's no pressure. No pressure. Nah, no pressure. But um, everyone likes to be optimistic. Okay, yeah, we'll see what yeah. happens. Hey, good luck, man. Thanks for your time today. You're a legend. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time. If he had a blinder, I reckon he can get top five. Yep, I'd, I'd agree with that. He's, you know, he just need, you just sometimes you just need a little bit of luck uh, in terms of he needs to have a bit of luck in the swim in terms of getting off the line well, getting into a good group. He's a good enough swimmer to, to come out with the the main pack and, yeah, just needs things to, to pan out his way. But who knows how the race is going to pan out. You know, you might see... Fredino off the front with two or three others just slamming it away. You might see Keenlay and Sanders just decimating the group. But, yeah, I, I think he's... Uh, I love Kona, John. Hmm. Yeah, we just don't know, do we? I know, for you you know, if you're a betting man, you've got a photo, but... Yes. But still... I think, yeah, he is a raging hot favourite, but second through fifth... I don't know. It's good. Good 10, 10 plus guys that could do that. Ten oh, to fifteen guys. So exciting! So if you want to check out Braden Curry, go to bradencurry.com and uh, you can just you know follow him on Twitter and all those places as well. He's a, the one thing about Braden is he delivers. Mm-hmm. You know, like some athletes can deliver on the big days. Yes. And Braden, you know, if you look at his history, you know he, he's one of those athletes that when the going gets tough, he seems to be able to crack through. And that race a few weeks ago with Ben Hoffman was a really good mm-hmm. example of that. And we talk about that in the interview, but. Um, you know, that he has the ability to be able to switch it on when it needs to be switched on. So hopefully that, that kind of transfers to Kona. Okay, John. One, two, three. Age Grouper of the week. week. Okay, John, but well, we had the ITU World Championships over the weekend and it wasn't just for the pros, it was for all levels of athletes. And uh, So what I want Bevan's going to do, he's going to pluck out. We'll actually we'll do I'm going to choose one because I know, I know one who won one. A male and a female uh, over sprint distance and a male and a female okay, age group. Well, I'm going to choose my female because my female, I'm pretty sure it's this age group here, is a local lass. 35 to 39. Good old Fiona Combi took it out. She did. What a great race. She's very solid. Yeah, it's far out. Yeah, she's world champion, John. So she took out 35 to 39 age group in the females Smashed Olympic Smashed the run. So she rode, she um, swam a 20. She smashed the swim. Like she was basically two minutes ahead of everyone in the swim. Oh, no, there's a couple of people's lower back, but smashed the swim. Average bike, a little bit kind of 107, of few faster bikers, but the run, 3648. Now, you said it might have been a little bit short, but still, she was still a couple of minutes, three, two or three minutes ahead of everyone else. Yep. Uh, on the guys' side of things, I've gone for the 35 to 39 male sprint distance race, and you had a Great Britain trifecta. There was a ridiculous amount of Great Britain athletes there. 
Uh, like I'm talking ridiculous amount. James Wilson took it out, and so these guys swam 10:13. He rode 31:44, which didn't sound that fast for 20 k's, but it was very technical. And then ran 16:29 uh, for a 40-second victory over Chris Stanton and Paul Ryman was in third. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna bet to sprint. I'm gonna go the oldest competitor. So male age group 85 to 89. Now we're the mini in this category, John. Don't hit the mic. Oh, <laughs> there's only one athlete, John. He took it out. Good old Bill Zering. He took it out. He born in 1930, so he's 87. It's <gasps> pretty good. Took yeah. six hours, 20 minutes for a swim of 107, a bike of 236, and a run of 202. So he needs to sharpen up on it. You sharpen up in your running, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you can just about bike run as fast as your bike. So. And my last category I'm going to take out is the males 45 to 49 over the Olympic distance. And the winner of that was Udo van Stelvidal from Germany, born in 1968. So he's one of the older ones in the age group. He swam 22-26. He biked 56-45 wow. and then ran 34-24 to win it by 12 seconds. How many athletes did they tend to have in each race? There was quite a lot. Like I'm talking, look, and that's the forty to 40, forty-five to forty-nine Olympic distance, and there was one hundred and forty-three finishes and two DNFs. Wow, so good numbers. Yeah, just going back to Fiona. What's really cool about her winning her age group was about a year or so ago she was couldn't even move. She mm. got really b- badly injured and it was kind of like wondered if she could be an athlete moving forward in life and. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a pretty tough bugger, so well done, Fiona. It's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. Jombo. Um, Good work to everybody at the ICU World Long Distance Champs. Okay, it's statistic. It's fantastic. A while ago, I think I've discussed how many athletes there are registered as professionals on for WTC. And sometimes we give some of those lower-level pros a little bit of a hard time when you're cranking out sort of 10, 11-hour Ironmans and you're a pro male. So, so I was wondering how many athletes are there actually racing on the ITU circuit in terms of the World Triathlon Series and also the World Cup. So they actually they do this on triathlon.org. And on the females side of things, there's 166 athletes. That's your stat. They have raced on either a World Championship Series or a World Cup race. Now, are year. you surprised by that? Or did you think that's about right? Uh, it does seem quite a lot, but World Cups sometimes do have quite a third tier feel to them okay. um so it's quite a few at most races wts races you know your field's going to be around about 50 ish so when you've got 160 yeah yep. it is what it is yep. uh, and we're also just having a quick look at the rankings so the way the rankings finished up this year you had floor duffy on top ashley gentle she had to put on a stellar run at the weekend to hold her second place katie zaveris moved up a slot in third the big losers from the weekend i don't know if that's losers isn't the right word people that moved down a couple of rankings and lost some money was uh, andrea hewitt she dropped two places down to fifth and uh, rachel Klamer dropped two places down to eighth but the biggest person to drop down was a Ueda who dropped down from 9th to 15th. Now this has pretty significant ramifications in terms of their prize money. So if we take Andrea Hewitt for example, she was I think sitting in third place before the grand final and that would have 
given her 38,000, ended up finishing fifth and could take home an extra $20,000, oh. $18,000. Oh, bugger. Quite a lot. Yeah. Um, when we look at the guys' side of things, there was a fairly similar number of men. Uh, we had... Oh, come on, John. 197. 197. So about an extra 30-odd guys. Now, a lot of these, towards the tail end, only did uh, one or two races, but Mario Mola took out the series um, from Javier Gomez. Christian Blumenfeld, he was the, another... He moved up two places into third place, so a little bit like... Andrea Murray lost 18,000. He gained 18,000 on uh, that move. Uh, Richard Murray dropped down one place and Fernando Alaza dropped down one place as well. Johnny Brownlee was in sixth place. So, yeah, big money on offer for these guys. And we, as we said earlier in the show, really like the idea of uh, having a really solid bonus pool um, yeah. for this. So if you win the, the, the overall series, you take home 80,000, drops 55, 38, 25, 20, 15, 13, 11, 10, and then you slowly starts to, to drop down and pays all the way down 35 deep where you get $1,800 US for 35th. So still... It's still money, isn't it? Still money in the pocket. I take it, John. I take it. It's pretty interesting stuff. What, what, can you remember how many pro I mean you were? There's a lot more than that. Yeah, there is, isn't there? You you tell me about what you did on Saturday night, and I think I, I watched the All Blacks pull the pants down of the of the Springboks. That's what I did, John. Oh, Springboks! I reckon in a game like that. So if you don't know, we we played the Springboks, and traditionally the Springboks are New Zealand's biggest rugby, rugby rivalry. But in the last ten years, South African rugby's just dropped the ball a little bit, and they're just not what they used to be. And we beat them fifty-seven nil. Like now, for any team to get a zero is a big embarrassment. But at that level, it's ever. And I reckon we should have a new rule, John. Yeah. If you get a zero, you've literally got to pull your pants down. <laughs> you know, public shame them. It was. Did you watch it? I did. And this is a piece of advice for people for next season for Kiwis. The best way to watch it is with the alternative alternative commentary. So who is it? It's Jeremy Wells and a couple of other guys. Oh, so it's not. I, I thought it was just more the South African team. No, so this is an alternate commentary. It's on so the radio. So you yellow. Oh, no, oh, it's on the radio. So it's a, it's on. And it I links with the TV. Life. Now you got to get your timing right. Okay, so. And it is hilarious. Is it My really? wife and I both watched it. She she wa didn't mind watching rugby, but that made the experience ten times better. Oh, maybe I'll do that. Mm. They only do the New Zealand games. How many pro males do you think uh, are registered, Bevan? Registered. Okay, I'm going to say... Well, this might be for next year even, so it might even be... More to come. 2018, so I think this is a fairly low number. I thought it was a lot more than this. I'd probably say 300. There's 206 that have done a race thus far in the, the next qualifying period, so this is for Kona for next year. Because you've got to remember, like, I would have entered as a pro at some stage. Yes. So it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> 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 Whereas right to you, you've actually got to go through some steps to get there. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I recall that number being a lot higher than that. Now we've only just started the next cycle for the for um for next year. So, so it probably is about three hundred, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say on the means at least plus. I'd say it's quite a bit more than that. Okay, um, wanger of the week, Jonbo. What's one you're going to do this week? We are going for number eight. Number eight is the Kona thirty third in total training time. So remember, years ago, John picked who was it? Luke McKenzie. Luke McKenzie to get 33rd, and he did. <laughs> and there was, and every year we've tried again, and you've never got it since. But it's a bit of a history of the show. So number eight was who did the 33rd most training this week, and it goes to? As a Morgan, Aaron Mongo Morgan, position 35. He did nine activities for 12 hours, 
23 minutes and 33 seconds. Nice. That's pretty cool. Very nice. 33. So that's, that's a th- wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, how many training sessions did you do this week? Last week, I did, I uh, got my, started to pick my running up. I did a session every day and I ran 78Ks last week. So about 50 did miles. You're running quite a bit. It was, it was a consistent Just week. Just picking up a Actually, little bit. it would have been 80. Well, I would have done 50 miles because it didn't count my little run that I did on Tuesday with Thomas. So I actually did You're even on runs. the list, John. Oh, no, no, no. no. I thought it was, no, it was John Newsom. No, it's not. So training, to, total training time last week was seven hours and 16 minutes plus the 30 minutes. Probably, probably eight hours. Okay, let me put up my Strava, John. Let me so put up my Strava. Didn't get anywhere last week. I only ran about 50Ks last week. Smoked you. But I do eight hours at the gym, 10 hours at the gym. Okay, you smoke so, me. Yeah, so... <laughs> Hours wise, I probably did about twelve hours of training, maybe a little bit longer than that. It's um, all on for road next year. We're building towards that. Is we're this the big race? Is it? We've still yeah. This is the big race. It is. Okay. Now we've still got spaces on our road camp if you're keen to come and join that experience, see the Collins Cup over the next year, and get an amazing camp and amazing race as well. Now Bevan asked people last week. We had our high speed winners oh, last that's week, right. and Aaron. The interpreter Howitz from Israel, he said over, thanks for the shout out on this week's show. He had a qu- quite a high average, uh, quite a high about max 89 speed. or something. So it wasn't unbelievable. Yep. Anything over 100 k's for me is mostly unbelievable. I have a straight downhill segment on one of my routes, the last 900 meters of a three plus kilometer downhill. First I climb the segment and then turn around and I ride down. I usually pedal on the downhill to see how fast I can go. With the tailwind I can get into the 90s. Nice. Wow. For stats purposes, I am 193 centimetres. He's a big, tall piece of timber and weighs 84 kgs. So he's got that little bit of weight advantage yeah. over some of it. Over, so Not like the females. Not like the females. because no, it's physics, John. Yeah. <laughs> so very good. Let's, uh, let's just have a quick look at the, the top speeds from this week. Okay. Let's uh, see if we have up, John. What have we got this week? Any hundreds? 150? Speedster. What yes, we have. Got a hundred. 105. We've got a female this week. Okay. Whoop, whoop. We have. Hey, girls, you've picked up your game this week. It's impressive. Rachel Cunningham from New Zealand, 105.8 kilometres per hour. Okay, I'm doing, a, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a fastest downhill bike. Aaron Howitz is, is right up there again. He's obviously been listening. He's got the second and third for the males. Oh, he's just trying to own it now, and isn't he? Joe Coombe has got the second and third for the females with an 81 kilometres per hour, which is 50.3 okay, miles. Okay, John, here we go, here we go. And Joe Coombe's got the third one as well. John Howard, Olympic cyclist and Ironman World Triathlon winner. Mm-hmm. John Howard? Yeah, it? yeah, way back in, oh, what year was he? He was like the first guy, 78, wasn't he? No, no, he wasn't first, but he would have, I'm going to say around 80. 80, 81, somewhere around this about that This is unbelievable. Time. Okay, so this is, and this is Wikipedia, so it must be true, John. Um, you go. It, apparently, he's a bit of a nut bar, and so I wouldn't be surprised whatever you say is going to be true. Reset the world record to, I'm, I'm going to get you to guess, at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Um, but yeah, there's so cycling he, records, cycling records. How fast? Yep, so. That's not downhill, that's flat. He must be behind a car or something like that. He must be, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, it was motor paced. Yeah. Okay, so how fast do you think motor paced on a, on a bicycle? If it's a world record, I mean, you've got to think, the Tour de France sprinters and stuff, God, what do they get up to when they're sprinting? It's pretty bloody high. So I'm, I think it's going to be a really ridiculous number. It is. I'm going to say 81 kilometres an hour. John, well, kilometres? Mm. No, but this, remember, it's, I think this is motor paced. Okay, so. 244 kilometres an hour. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
244 kilometers an hour. So he must be getting towed and he's on a bike. Must be Fred, Fred Rogenberg um, from somewhere, Maastricht, uh, Netherlands, is the current holder of the motor pace speed record at 268. No, so I don't know how he did it. That's unbelievable. Fastest ever at bike. Yeah. You should have saved this for a whole scene. We've done some research. Oh, that was a great statistic. So wait a second. Yeah, that's the fastest. Yep. Fastest pedaling on a bicycle treadmill after being towed. Yep. So it is 334 kilometers an hour. <laughs> on a custom made bike that was a million pounds to make. Downhill on snow on a prototype bike, 222 wave, Eric Barone. Downhill on a volcano. <laughs> Downhill, yeah, so just ridiculous, John. Okay, feared recumbent. What's a recumbent? Is that one of those ones you're sitting down? down. Okay, yeah. flat surface, unpaced, 144 kilometers. Jeepers, crazy. Some sense, sensibility back to the show. This is, this is, that's just waiting to die. Yeah. You know, you, you come off at 244, it's game over. I don't understand how they can go that fast. Oh I just, God. I can't fathom it. No? Oh, well, that was pretty fascinating stuff. Okay, Jonbo sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes, tell me about it. Go to their blog and then they tell you, give you basically a nice little intro, how to get the most out of Athlinks. And so they've got a blog article. We'll have a link on imtalk.me. And sometimes we get questions which we don't necessarily know the answer to in terms of, you know, making the most out of um, Athlinks. And so it basically goes through on how to update your Athlinks, um, your athlete profile, really good, how actually. to claim your results, how you, how you can get the most out of it in terms of connecting with others, um, how to sort of set your events up so you've got them upcoming. You know, last week I talked about... <clears throat> you know, some of the rivals and friends I've got that have got races coming up, so it shows you how to do that. And then basically talks to you about the, the app they've got as well and uh, basically gets you all set up. So if you haven't got your Athlinks <coughs> profile set up, <coughs> go to imtalk.me. Bevan will put a link in there because I've done the show notes on time this week. You'll have I every, was happy ev with that. everything in there. Yes, I was happy. You did well. Well done, and proud of you. there'll be a link there to go off and get how, the, how to get the most out of your Athlinks profile. Have so you seen the, the race day app as well? They have. So I think mainly around American races that Chrono Track are doing the timing services for. So if you are doing a race that Chrono Track do the timing for, you can use the app and it's going to give you a lot more functionality than what you can get elsewhere. So check it all out at athlinks.com. And this article is good, but the other thing is don't let it scare you off because it's actually pretty simple. It's not mm. rocket science, but you know, to read this article as you join up, it just helps you kind of get a better idea of how to get the most out of it. And then from there, you can just get into the habit of using athlinks.com. So check it out, athlinks.com. John, three, two, one, questions and answers. We've got a good one here from Paul Dennett. And he's got, loving the show, guys. I have a coach's corner question. Hill climbing on the bike. Stood or seated or personal preference. Signed up for a few hilly sporties. And I want to do an Ironman Wales next year. I find it easier to stand on the pedals going up. Should I be practicing staying seated? Thanks, Paul. Um, so I thought I'd do a few pros and cons to both seated and standing. And he he is a friend. He lives in Bristol, and he's a friend of Andy Puff Phillips. Now, someone else actually sent a message about that, saying that um, they really don't like Wales that much or something. And Kilnan, like the the dragon, was not good. No, idea. no, no. I I understand that, but Puff. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's gonna fit. I'm sure. I'm sure he's <laughs> loving it. Andy, we love you. Puff, <laughs> puff, not like not a small puff. Isn't like explosion puff. Yes. 
So when you're seated on the bike, the pros of doing that, it requires less energy than standing. It's uh, easier to change gears if you're on a long or a, um, a steep section of a climb. And you can get yourself into a, just a nice rhythm uh, on those longer climbs. The downsides of it um, is, especially if you're doing an Ironman race when you're in the aero position for long periods, you're kind of using a very quite a similar sort of muscle group. Whereas if you do get up and stand up, you give your back a little bit of a break using a little bit uh, some some different muscle groups. So it's like when you go running and you go in a rolling section, it's actually quite nice because you get to use your body mm. differently, isn't so it? So often we think <clears throat> in the running side of things, a flat running race you go is always going to be quicker than a hilly running race. But if you've got a, a, a running race that's got a few little hills in it, as you said, that can just break it up and mentally it's easier, but also on your muscles it's um it's a bit easier as well. Standing on the other side when you're riding a bike, the pros of doing that, uh, you can generate a lot more power for short bursts, so really beneficial if you're going up um, short, very steep uh, inclines, and as I said, you can use quite a different range of muscle groups, it gives your back a nice break as well. The big downside of standing is uh, you're using significantly yeah. more energy, yeah. um, and so you may not realise that it may feel a little bit easier, but you are using a lot more energy, so you do want to moderate that. And also, if you're pretty new to sort of the cycling uh, up and down hills, it can take quite a while to get used to standing up and then sitting back down when you're still on the climb otherwise uh, so you just need to, to know how to change your gears really effectively so my advice around this would be uh, learn how to ride efficiently when you're out of the saddle and so sometimes I'm riding behind people and they may even have their hands sort of um, with their knuckles facing forward when they're standing, which looks really, really unstable. And often they're swerving all over the road. So really want to focus on keeping that front wheel nice and straight so you are staying in a straight line. And just practicing getting in and out of the seat so you're nice and efficient. You also want to change down into an easier gear when you're sitting back down. So when it, for you, Paul, when you go off and do some of these sportive um, events, so for people that don't know what these are, they're, they're, they're big, usually long, sort of 100-ish, you know, long-distance um, group rides, not often super serious, just kind of group endurance. Yep. Good fun. You get, you get a time, but it's not sort of hardcore racing. I'd say mix it up and work on your skills a bit more. They're often quite hilly. <clears throat> when it comes to doing Ironman, say, Wales next year, uh, you want to be using your out-of-the-seat riding to, to vary your position. Um, what you don't want to be doing, I see a lot of people do this, is doing their climbs on their aero bars. So yes, you've got the benefit of being a little bit more aerodynamic, but again, you're using the same muscle group all the way through. So when it comes to Ironman racing, I'd be saying a lot of the time you want to be uh, seated uh, for the climbs and just mixing that up a little bit with a bit of out-of-the-seat to break it up, but you just want to focus on trying to be efficient not spiking your power too much, um, and avoid doing your climbing on the aero bars. I mean, Wales, a lot of climbing to get used to, so uh, good luck with that. I also think for people who are seated, learning to be efficient in the seated position, because so many people use upper body mm. too much, and really what you want to think of, it's like an all movement, it's the whole idea of efficiency is how do I move as fast as possible for as little energy as possible. And you'll see people who do stay seated, but they're, they're doing the hump in the bike hump thing, the or holding way too much tension through shoulders and hands. Mm -hmm. And so when you when you are doing that hill riding, you really are trying to think of how do I get the most out of my leg movement, but keep it relaxed and as efficient through my upper body movement. Now, there is going to be some tension, but mm -hmm. you know, you you kind of just do that body scan of where am I using energy right now and where can I can save energy. And nowadays with phones, get your mate, when you're doing a bike, 
pull your mate aside and say, look, can you just film me riding up this hill and then I'll do it for you? And you can just have a look at what you're doing when you're actually up riding up a hill. Make sure you, when you do that, you're wearing a good pair of bike pants so you haven't got any of that see-through butt crack going on. Oh, yeah. Because they can put on YouTube. No, yes. Nothing worse. Uh, also, when you're climbing, just try and you're, and you're seated, just try shifting back a little bit further on your seat and also just gently trying to straighten your back up so you've got a relatively straight spine and that just helps you to engage your core a bit more. So good luck with your hill climbing. John, one thing I, I, I don't mention enough on the show is if you want, we email the show out each week. Well, I do because that's my job. I'm the pleb. Mm-hmm. I know my place. But... um. If, uh, each week, basically, as soon as I release the show, I send an email out just with the show notes and a link to the listen to the show right now. And if you, you know, if you want to know when the show gets released, or I don't know, just if that's something that appeals to you, just go to www.imtalk.me and you'll just see on the front page get the show emailed to you. Put your information there. We never spam you. We never send anything other than show notes. It's just a way to keep people know that we're doing a show each week. So you can do that by go www.imtalk.me. John, patrons, Bruce, uh, the Tomahawk. Tomlinson, good old Pete Thias, Thor Thias, <laughs> and he gave us the big thumbs up on the uh, on the gear. He said, "Love the Iron Talk gear." Excellent, and Matthew Kenny Van Noose. Why do we go Kenny? Maybe something to do with um, it, it, uh, South Park. Oh, nice. Kenny off okay. South yeah, Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Have you, have you watched South Park? Oh yeah, I've never really, really watched it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I heard it's brilliant. I've just yeah. never really got into it. Not a regular watcher, but I've watched it. When it's on, it's, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I'm Talks proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And uh, you guys rock. If you want to be a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Put your information in there. you see the patrons, become a patron, go through the process, and that way you can help the show and also go on a chance to win a trip to Kona next year. One year away. I know. It's a big year next year. I'm going to do Rote and Kona. I know. And I'm doing Kona camp in May as well. And I'm going to New York. Jeepers, creepers. My year's busy, John. It was already booked out. <laughs> Jeepers, creepers. Okay, Jombo. Um, what's your goss? What's my goss? Had a steady week running. Certainly don't think I'm getting much faster, but good, strong week of running, which is good. And going away on school camp with Thomas tomorrow. Three days up in Hamburg. Parent helper. Parent How many parent helper. helpers are there? It's quite a few. There's Have you done this before? No. There's, I think, eight How plus many kids? teachers. About 50 to 60 kids. Ooh. You're so getting no sleep. It's pretty st- we've got some pretty strict rules around sleep. Yeah, sure. Hey, can you remember school camps? Did you sleep in school camps? I've got, they're all got, they've only got sort of three or four in a room. Oh, they're going to be I'll angels. I'll be ruling with an iron fist. <laughs> I can imagine. We've got iron stra- kids. We've got strategies for, uh, for, for for misbehaving children. Oh, what's the strategy? They have to go and sleep with the adults. Apparently that shuts them up real fast. Oh, really? Cause Especially because you snore and fart. Yes, <laughs> exactly. They, um, yeah, there's sort of four in a room and then the adults have got their rooms. We're just sort of two in a room and that's the, that's the threat is you've got to go sleep with the adults. Uh, apparently it works pretty well. Uh, Harold saw me. He is 10. Okay, so girls, girls aren't really on the radar yet, are they? Not really. High school, school camp. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different story. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember my high school, school camp, because I loved trying to pick up girls when I was a kid. And and uh, my high school camp, I, I pulled my neck. And I was like, this is the whole camp, and I was really oh. sore. So I, none of them, I didn't try any passion at all, John. Oh. Broke my heart. Jeepers, creepers. So other than that, that's going to take up the, the bulk of my week. Demo. Oh, you go. Next race in the JD Duathlon series for anybody who wants to check out our course for the national champs is uh, the weekend after next on the first of October, over in Corsia Bay. Outside, are you racing? Bend. 
Well, I'm race directing, so... Hey, well, you'll be like Rob Burrell. Rob you know, Burrell. He won the World Championship. That's true. <laughs> you know, sharpen up, there's no excuse. Um, Not much else happening, Bevan. What about you? Well, I did my 5K time trial. Oh, yes. 17... No, Strava's not right. Strava's not I right. I actually looked at Strava. Oh, because I, I used my phone, so I stopped on my watch. Yes. And then I stopped on Strava, so Strava's a little bit slower. Okay, okay, so what did you think I did? 17.25. No. What? 17.09. Good. Yeah, I was pretty happy for that, actually. I, yeah. I started off... I used my watch, stuck on my time, felt pretty comfortable. Uh, no, I think, I think I ran it perfectly, actually. I don't think I could have done any better. So there was an individual time trial. Didn't have anybody else around? No. Yeah. What was I doing when I... You, you carry on. What else has been happening in your world? Oh, you're going to compete in there, are you? Well, I did a couple of 5K hard efforts before wrote. I can't remember what time. Okay, so let's see. Well, I was surprised because I haven't... I ran quite a bit leading up to going away. Mm-hmm. And then since then, I, when I was away, I, you know, tourist running... And then when I got back, I pretty much had six weeks off running completely and did my strength work. And then I did two weeks of longest run an hour, basically 30, 40 minute runs three times a week. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, I didn't think I was going to be that good. I was really thinking 17 half, I was being a little bit ambitious. But I, I paced it really well. And then, yeah, yeah, it, it is hard, but isn't it? Oh, yeah. Man, I'm running down, I'm running down Brougham Street. And <laughs> yeah. And, because I basically didn't want to cross any roads, so the the route I took was a kind of a funny route, but um, and I'm looking ugly, I tell you, and yeah. I still had like a k and a half to go, and I'm just you know just breathing like a mofo, just I'm thinking if anyone sees me right now, they're not they're thinking it's this guy's dying. It's not a picture of good form. Uh, there was n- no, it was not pretty, but I was pretty happy with it. And also did that, so running's going well. Um, just doing, it. I haven't I haven't actually done a proper run program. In years. And so mm-hmm. I'm actually doing a lot of kind of 10K pace work, half marathon pace work and stuff. I'm probably at a, a, somewhere between an 118 to 119 right now for my right. training based on my VDOT. So, um, but I probably won't get there in Queenstown because it's a slow race. So I'm not quite sure how, how I'll pace my race, but that's kind of cool. Um, the All Blacks rock. Um, going to Queenstown this weekend. I think when I did it, I was just sort of trying to sit at 3.30. So you would have taken me down. Yeah, but... Yeah. Probably be the same, really. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'd be pretty close then. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd be pretty close. Um, romantic weekend, John. <laughs> Going out to Queenstown. Yeah. Boom. 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 Come for Thursday through to Monday. Crazy. Yeah. Coming yep. back just in time for the podcast. Yep. Going to go to, <coughs> go down there. Going to uh, do some running. Might do a hike. Where would you hike in Queenstown? Ben Lomond. You reckon? How long does that take? It's not that long, but just we, we, I think we did that. Yeah, we ran it once. I, mean, yeah. I got lost. I think it's my lo- still it still counts as my longest run ever. I think lots of people got lost in there. Yeah, I think I was about four out there for about four and a half hours. I think some people were out there for five hours. I remember Gordo and I took off, yeah. and you know my ego and Gordo's ego, so we're kind of flying up this hill, yeah. and we and eventually we hit slow down because we got a bit lost, but we were going pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. And John Jury, we turned around at one stage. John Jury's just right behind us, <laughs> and John Jury, how old was he? He was probably in his fifties at that time. Yeah. Jeez, he was, a, he was a bloody goat, he was. Yeah. yeah. And then we all got lost. And then we ended up coming down the back of it, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Down the, threw the shot over and stuff. Yeah. Good times. So I got my rent again. Joe's going to get pregnant, probably. <laughs> not <laughs> the <it's> not <laughs> true. <laughs> Highly unlikely. Whoa. We're oh, God. Just have uh, a chat with Joe on the way out today. Yep, she would love that one. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick up. up.